0: The word of the Lord, according to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as I did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day What has been entrusted to me? Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel proclamation comes from the second letter of Paul to Timothy and serves as the basis for our theme for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, The Sun Sets on Sinners Saved. Today, our brother Paul continues with his encouragement to Timothy in his second letter, Promising Life in Christ Jesus. The text of our message today comes off as boilerplate, gratitude, and thanksgiving for the relationship they have in Christ as well as what they have achieved together for the sake of Christ. Almost make the perfect introduction for a retirement banquet for a long-serving pastor or teacher or any other church worker. You were such a good friend in the ministry. Blah, blah, blah. We appreciate all your hard work and sacrifice for the church. Blah, blah, blah. We will never be the same without you. Blah, 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 blah. We may replace you, but we will always have a place in the pew for you. Say it with me, people. Blah, blah, blah. I've been to enough farewell and Godspeed to pastors and teachers, recognition of faithful service and anniversaries of commissionings, ceremonies to recognize Paul's language today as that simple adulation for a church worker bespeaking love and appreciation for their hard work in service to the gospel. But then I was caught off guard when Paul suddenly remembers Timothy's tears. And even worse than that, Paul, in the same sentence, longs to see him that he, that is Paul, might be filled with joy. I don't know about you, but I'm not entirely sure my my friends would want to see me when I am in tears. In fact, I have an example of one time I broke out in tears and my friends who were surrounding me left me all alone. Let me explain. It happened about 10 years ago when I was still attending the annual pastor conferences at my seminary in St. Louis. It had been a particularly rough year for me when I pretty much had to keep it together. It included a hurricane, burying about 30 people that year in the ministry, some challenges in the church and the like, and Marcy and I even went to counseling during it, and for the most part, I thought I was handling the stress of it all just fine. Then I went up to Symposia in St. Louis, sat down amid all my best friends in the ministry, and started singing the hymn, Abide With Me. If you're familiar with the hymn, you know that it was written from the depths of the soul of a man, Henry Francis Light, whom after walking the beach in the early evening and watching the setting of the sun, returned to his home and wrote the music and the lyrics. Being in poor health, he passed away soon after, and this hymn was sung for the very first time at his funeral. I didn't know all this at the singing of the hymn, but was in a place where I realized the sun was setting on many aspects of my life and I would never be the same. I had recently transferred all the youth ministry responsibilities to Mike and I knew I would never do another summer camp or retreat with the kids ever again, an aspect of ministry I really cherished at the time. The 30 funerals I did that year were some of my closest advocates in the ministry and I knew I would never see them on this side of heaven again. Ministry was changing so rapidly, I knew that who I was as a pastor and how ministry would be done for the foreseeable future would be so different that people who knew me as a pastor 20 years ago would barely recognize me today. My boys were becoming men before my eyes and hardly needed me or their mother at all. Once they got the keys to their own car, I knew the attentive father I was would be gone forever. It was as if the sun had truly set on me, and I was in tears at the thought of never being that man ever again. So something in this hymn spoke to what I had no idea was going on in my heart, and before I knew it, the tears were streaming down my face with me Barely understanding why. And apparently, neither did my friends. Because they immediately left me alone, all by myself. Or maybe, just maybe, they really did understand. They understood what kind of year I had, the pain I was in. After all, they heard it all over beers at the pub as I transparently detailed my struggles to their aghast faces. And furthermore, truth be told, they never saw me cry, not even once in the 20 plus years they've known me and probably knew even better than I did, I just needed to release it. And I really didn't need someone there to solve it or coddle it, I just needed to cry. And I would ultimately be fine. And I was. And I am. Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, helped me to see that the tears bring joy in some simple yet profound way. Tears at the end of one's life can mean joy at the realization of a new life. We've all been there. The tears of your children, whether they are crying that they can't tie their shoes or homework is too hard. You can rejoice that you are there to help them in their failures because you know all too soon they will have to wrestle with those failures all on their own as young but maturing adults. Maybe you were the mentor to that young employee or service member in the military and you watched their tears when projects failed and the bureaucracy abandoned them. But you and your joy came alongside them, knowing they were reborn from the crucible of failures that made them a member of the team, ready for anything the competition would throw at them. In church, you were there when young members came to your board or your committee, hungry to help but frustrated to tears at the difficulty of making everyone happy. And your utter joy when they realized That service in the church was for the unhappy ones, so they could always be served by the joy of Jesus. Luke 15.10 tells us, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How many of us have seen that one sinner in tears when they realize that God has forgiven all their sins never to be held against them again? Those tears are angels' joy. So we know all too well the joy set before us, the cross that took the very shame of our sins with the tears of Christ's pain to become our everlasting joy because that house of pain is now our symbol of eternal salvation, the everlasting joy we will experience with him in the new heavens and the new earth. His death of his human life meant our new life at the setting of the sun. He was the son of a beloved pastor right here in Orlando. He attended Orlando Academy, and Beth, our seventh grade homeroom and English teacher, actually taught him. He was a prankster and a character, but I think everyone liked him anyway. He had a beautiful girlfriend. He was very handsome. Life is so good for this young man. What could possibly go wrong? Well, a lot of things did. Not necessarily related or certainly even causative. But life without tears is rarely life at all. First, four Hurricanes hit Orlando in one year, and we all know too well the stress and devastation one hurricane can cause and the pressure it puts on churches. Can you just imagine what it does to the pastor and his family that's trying to help everyone during such a crisis? Then multiply it by four. Then his beloved high school closed. Finally, his father transitioned into retirement and out of the spotlight of a ministry that was slowly being amalgamated by the partner church and life seemed to be changing before his very eyes. The only thing that remained the same was his loving girlfriend that never gave up on him. Unfortunately, college, life, and the temptations of this world found him giving up on God and he no longer believed in the God who made his life possible to begin with. But God never gave up on him. Just the other day, in new member class, Virginia asked for a copy of Christian Dogmatics Volume 2 by Francis Pieper. Pastor Spaeth recommended it in God Connects the week before, and she wanted a copy. I knew I had one so she could borrow, and took her and Richard over to my office to get it. You see, Pieper... Is one of the best theologians ever to explain our basic Christian teachings and terminology that is concise and understandable, but handles incredibly difficult faith questions better than anyone I've ever read, save maybe Dr. Luther himself. And it was this very book the young man in my account found in his father's library one day while he was home visiting his pastor father and mother. As he retold the story to me about 12 years ago, it was this book that saved his spiritual life and brought him back to Jesus. He went on to attend the seminary in Fort Wayne. He married that beautiful girlfriend. He received a call to Zion and Winter Garden, a church, millions of dollars in debt. He had two beautiful boys. Then he was guided by the Holy Spirit to sell the original preschool building, build a new sanctuary, and retire the millions of dollars in debt at the same time, and is now exploding with new members to this day. Because one little book on that cool autumn day rekindled the fire of the gospel in his heart. In one little book, that explained the beauty of the gospel in terms he never heard before, led to the laying on of hands at his ordination into the holy ministry, where he ministers to hundreds of members through word and sacrament to this day. Can you even imagine if we put those resources into the hands of those who never heard the gospel at all, and the spark of that fire would bury old lives filled with sin and rise with the new sun, after the setting of the old, with new lives ready to live forever in Christ. Paul saw this and preached it, seeing the sun set on the old Timothy and rising anew the eternal Bishop Timothy and Christ's eternal church. So also we see the sun setting on sinners all over our county, so new women and men can rise in the Son of God, found of Christ, Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior of our souls. From the setting of the sun to rising again, we see new life every day in one another and sinners saved. All God's people say together, Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.